Hey, this is John Maroon, and welcome to Spotlight, the Maroon PR podcast, talking all things public relations. Joining me today is our esteemed vice president, Jen Bloomer. Hi, Jen. Hello. And our guest today is a special guest, an old friend of ours. His name's Kevin Seifert. Kevin is a national uh, reporter for ESPN.com's NFL Nation. You can follow him on Twitter at Seifert ESPN. That's S-E-I-F-E-R-T ESPN. And we got a lot to discuss with Kevin. The start of the NFL season is here. He's a busy man, and we appreciate him taking a few minutes out. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us this morning on uh, Spotlight, the Maroon PR podcast. Really appreciate it. Great hearing your voice again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, great to catch up. This will be fun. Thanks, thanks. Well, first of all, I want to start out by complaining a little bit. All right, the start of the NFL <laughs> season is here. I've, I'm in two fantasy leagues. I'm 0-1 in each team, each league. And as you know, my football team is the New York Jets, which is just a yeah. dumpster fire. And it's going to be a long season. Hopefully we're losing enough games to get one of the kids out of college, the kid from USC, the kid from Wyoming, the kid yeah. from Louisville. We'll take any of them. So I just want to start okay. out with a little bitching and moaning. Yeah. No, no problem. I think that's a, a smart idea. If you're a Jets fan, you're already doing the right thing and looking ahead to the draft. Yes, we're 80, 80 million in cap space in the draft. That's all we got. And, you know, I, and yeah. I think the loss to Buffalo really put us in the right direction to achieve our goals. <laughs> you're, you're only 15 games away from that's, ensuring uh, at least a tie for the number one overall pick. That's right. That's right. So we're going to touch on a little bit how social media has impacted all sports, not just the NFL, but I wanted to kind of start out, not to be a doggy downer. Look, the NFL is our national game in so many ways, but in the last couple of years, it seems like the Shields face some challenges. You know, you got lower attendance and ratings. Yeah. You got upset fans over players kneeling for the anthem. You got their power being questioned over, you know, most recently with the Ezekiel Elliott case. You got concussion issues. Um, so I, th I think there's there are some challenges. From your perspective, you're so close to it. How much have these things recently kind of dinged the league, and how are they responding uh, to these sorts of uh, damages? Yeah, the interesting, John, is that you know I noticed probably start in the early 2000s. Actually, every press conference, uh, Super Bowl press conference that, that we would have with the commissioner, whether it was Paul Tagliabue or then or Roger Goodell, would basically just be a litany of, "Are you concerned about this issue? Are you concerned about this this issue?" And I know that all the, the, a lot of people who work for the league were just always stunned at how negative the tone was because of how much of a, a business and, and entertainment success the league was. And up until last year, it was really this kind of dichotomy of all these really negative issues swirling around and some kind of probably exaggerated, but some very real like concussions and, and, and the like. Uh, but it was having no impact whatsoever on business. You know, it was the, the ratings were higher than ever. The, the uh, all the polls and focus groups showed that this was by far the the, the most uh, popular sport. And then last year was the first time we really saw uh, any impact at all. And we still don't really know. I don't think if the TV ratings dip last year was is purely related to people's assessment of the game, or if it's more of a TV ratings issue uh, in general, you know, less people in the world are watching TV, yeah, or, or what the what what the what the impact there is. But I do know that, that just generally speaking, to have continued negativity swirling around and in the public discussion about your business can't be good for business in the long term. 
Yeah, I've read up on a little bit on the ratings, and I know you know there's just so much out there. Um, last year with the yeah. election, um, there's so much competition that I know a lot of the the rating critics are kind of you know they're not sold that it's that it's the league you know as a whole. Well, uh, yeah, Kev, do you subscribe to the belief that maybe there's just too much football on now that they ended up the Thursday night football, the two early season Monday night games that there's just a little saturation? Well, I do think that yeah, the Thursday night thing. Uh, very- if, if it didn't get to saturation, it brought it very close because they had this rule where every team had to appear on it once. And so to have a Tennessee-Jacksonville game on a Thursday night national television is just asking for trouble, you know, and nothing against those teams, but there's just the markets are not there and no one outside of those markets um, is interested. And so I think they found out that people aren't just going to tune in because it's football. There has to be a bigger draw than that. So they've changed the rules and the way they schedule the Thursday night games and I think they're focusing more on the on the on the high-rated teams, but I, I think they're getting pretty close. And and if they haven't gotten to it already, um, but hopefully this the, the new scheduling rules they applied for Thursday night that doesn't require them to have some of the junk teams, at least in terms of ratings, will will change that. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it was interesting to hear you lead off by saying that this stuff, as you being someone who covered it, kind of started. You saw it coming maybe a decade ago. And yeah. and it's kind of was building up recently, like it kind of hit. Was there one tipping point was like the Kaepernick thing, a tipping point was a concussion issue, a tipping point The the whole country's become, you know, it's a fairly, uh, you know, everyone's looking to jump on somebody about something. It's a fairly critical yeah. universe we live in these days. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think kind of was the turning point? I, you know, I think, first of all, you know, just being the top dog, you know, tends to make you um, probably the first target for a lot of people. Um, it's not as if there aren't some of these issues going on in other sports, um, you know, in this country in terms of, you know, uh, I mean, baseball, you know, there's this big debate about whether it's inter- an interesting game for younger younger kids. And there's always been, you know, storylines of, of you know, the diversity or lack thereof. And, and that's, but football being more popular tended to, to attract that, those issues in public, the public forum first. And so I think that's, that's part of it. In terms of a, a tipping point, uh, I, I think that as, to me, when Roger Goodell started um, trying to become the law and order commissioner, I think that, you know, it's probably his heart was in the right place. You want to, to have, um, you know, you don't want to create these off-field controversies, but it is really hard to build out a real, true investigative branch of your business if you're not in that business. The NFL is an entertainment business, and as they got into Bounty Gate and Deflate Gate and the Miami Dolphins thing, they they really kind of exposed themselves as not being, uh, in my mind, capable of, of conducting these types of investigations. So in their attempt to create the perception that they're really not going to tolerate uh, these off-field distractions. They've actually created more. And so I think when every year, and this year it's, it's Ezekiel Elliott, the last year was the Flake Gate, and then there was Bounty Gate and all these other gates. I mean, you, how could that possibly be a positive thing for a, for a sports and entertainment industry uh, uh, to have these this being the topic of discussion? And before last year, I would have said, well, you know, it seems as though any news you know, all news is good news for the NFL because it does nothing seems to chink, you know, the armor. But 
uh, in this, I do think there's been an accumulation. And so I don't know which one of those gates did it, but I think the fact that people are now resigned to this, to these ridiculous stories, uh, at least, you know, and it's not that you know, it affects the, it, it's not that it's just this ethereal thing out in the, in the universe. It affects the on-field product. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott's one of the best players in the NFL and, and, and for the most popular team in the NFL. And so people's, uh, you know, fantasy teams are going to be affected and that's not a small thing uh, given the, the role of fantasy in the industry. And, the, the competitive nature of those teams are going to be affected when players are being suspended and, and taken off the field and you know, going to court and back and forth. I mean, that affects the people's perception of, of how much enjoyment I think they're getting out of, out of the game. I would also add, too, that, you know, as all of these cases happen, um, they're, uh, you know, you guys worked back in sports back in the 90s and back before the Internet was big and, and social media was a thing. Um, so I would have to imagine that a lot of these issues maybe did exist and they were dealt with behind closed doors. Um, it, what, we're a very public world now and everyone wants to know everyone's business and be involved and have a voice. Um, and so when you talk about, right. you know, you said, I think, you know, the early 2000s, you know, that's when, you know, internet postings and blogs and all of that started to happen and, and so you could have a voice and so I would imagine that the leagues have much more pressure now coming from fans because they hear more from fans it's public the backlash um, you know everyone wants to have an opinion everyone has a voice um, so I would I, I feel like that's a big part of um, all of this you know we're, we were really close to the Ray Rice incident obviously because we're here in, sure. in Maryland um, and I think that was a really big one just because there was evidence. So it then gave the league something to then to, to build off of, whereas a lot of these, they're, like you said, they're not in the inve investigative um, world. You know, that's not their business, so it's a lot harder. Um, but with the race thing, they needed to respond, and they needed to respond in a way that um, was for, you know, was, was for the public. Yeah, Kev, we look, we talk a lot about, yeah, we talk yeah. a lot about, Jen was alluding to social media, the rise of that. We talk yeah. a lot about that in a number of, of industries. It's so positive in so many ways, but it really could be a negative in so many ways. What's your take on, like, kind of the rise of Twitter and social media and the athletes all living on that? Well, it, it does give them a chance to, um, to you know, uh, unfiltered um, – uh, communicate with with fans, and if they do it in a smart way, it can definitely be productive. I mean, um, you know, I, I actually I always find it interesting when 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 players and, and everybody focuses on what's on Twitter. When you look at the numbers broadly, you know, there's a small percentage of the country that's actually on Twitter. Um, maybe more people see what when when blogs pick up certain tweets or you know, Sports Center is talking about certain mm -hmm. tweets or whatever. But there's so many. Uh, I mean, there's such a focus on Twitter, and then but most people aren't even on it. And so that that always um, is uh, of interest to me. There's many more people on Facebook um, and probably even Instagram. But uh, the the players are probably more accessible and more than they ever were to the to the standard average fan as a result of social media, whether it's Twitter or anything else. Um, but like we've all probably experienced at different times, it's very easy to make a mistake. And so it opens up an av it opens up pretty much the same avenue in both directions. You can, you have a, uh, you know, a chance to, Im to improve uh, the perception of yourself or your team, but you also have a, 
uh, a big, uh, a very easy way to get yourself in big trouble awfully quickly. Well, it's funny, you know, we, we, we were talking a little bit about some, a lot of the negatives. Let's make no mistake, the NFL is still in really good standing. They're still basically our national yeah. <laughs> game, I and mean, people argue right and left. And there's some great things. Going back to social media, I mean, J.J. Watt and what he just yeah. did is just insane. I mean, the fact that he uh-huh. started with 100 grand of his own money, his goal was 250000 You can't even look up, and it doesn't stop. I think he's at $30 million no. bucks yeah. or something, and that started through yeah. social, and that's a guy that – Boy, talk about a guy that's almost single-handedly elevating the league above all this other crap. It's really kind yeah, of positive, yeah. you know? And the, and the funny thing is there's definitely some people who prior to all this have sort of criticized him for being like the, the you know, the Johnny American guy on Twitter, you know, just always putting out, you know, things that he's doing in the community and all this as if that's a bad thing, right. you know? Like, right. like for some reason he should be, uh, you know, persecuted for for bringing attention to positive things that are happening and that he may or may not play a role in. And so regardless of what his motives might have been, the the results are, you know, uniformly positive. And then he used and then took that following that he had gained by by branding all the things that he's done off the field and put it to something that's of incredible use. I mean, just, you know, I mean, he's, he raised more money than some of the biggest corporations in the country have for for these floods or anything else and so uh, it, it's it's funny how sort of the backlash against him had been at, at one point that he was trying too hard to create this perception that he's this great guy um when in fact maybe he actually was yeah. just portraying yeah that maybe he's, he yeah just maybe, a good guy maybe he's just a great guy <laughs> i mean that that's an old haters are gonna hate right yeah. i mean you can find anybody yeah. that's gonna you know as you know we've worked with cal ripkin a very long time and cal sure you know, is, a, is always handled himself so well throughout his career and been great to the fans. But certainly, there's a lot of people out there that don't think Cal's all that. And you know, it's just a, it, it, there's always going to be possible for him to be that way, right? Right. Yeah. right. There's always going to be somebody that's going to take the opposite of of any stance. But boy, Watt's been something special for the league and and very positive for sure. Um, what about you yeah. yourself, Kevin? How do you, how are you using Twitter? You know, you mentioned that you know it's a small small population in the grand yeah. scheme of things but it is a vehicle for reporters for businesses to you know to take it's it's a vehicle and then it kind of yeah. grows from from there but how do you use it personally and professionally right. i mean i'm on it constantly i still feel like it is it's the best delivery of of news that i can get in in real time you know just being someone and you know, part of my job is to kind of write blog posts that react to the news that's happening at the moment sure. and like that's for me, that's the best way to find out. You know, we used to have the AP wire, or used to have ESPN running, and, and you'd re- read the crawl. But you know, I'm finding out what's happening, at least what's what's being announced uh, immediately. So I use it for that. You know, I have it running constantly on my on my computer, and mm-hmm. you know, that's that, and so I can see it as it moves, and probably watch it too much. But that's in terms of the immediacy that I need to have in my job. That's it's a huge tool. And the other thing that's interesting. And maybe I shouldn't give out my trade secrets, but we talked about players being on social media. It's actually a lot easier now to get a hold of players um, that you maybe didn't have a great relationship enough to have their phone number or whatever as a reporter through Twitter, right. you know, whether it's direct messaging or otherwise. And 
And if they follow you, then then they might even know who you are if you're cold calling them and, and that sort of thing. So I actually use it as a reporting tool, and I'm sure other people do as well. Um, you know, in terms of what I put out, I probably reduced that substantially over the years after watching what happens when other people make, uh, and occasionally myself, you know, don't think through every character of the 140 characters that you put out. Um, sure. Uh, and our 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 analytics show that in terms of putting out your links, you know, you should probably always do that so the people who are on Twitter knowing or know what you write and can go to it. But uh, Facebook is actually a much more um, productive way to get people to click on a link and come to your site than Twitter has, mm-hmm. according to the the analytics we see. So I do put the, the tweets out, but I don't I don't do a whole lot else. Um, in terms of what I put out, just uh, maybe it's just being too defensive, but I, I would rather be quieter and, and not make a dumb mistake and draw attention to me to myself for that and the company than than to um, than to try to be uh, Mister Know It All on, on Twitter. Yeah, no, it is an interesting tool. We we talk about it with a lot of our clients as a media relations tool as well. I mean, heck, that's how we connected with you and and it's yeah. you know we, we we encourage our clients and if we're doing it for them or if they're doing it themselves to make sure whoever's whatever um reporters are covering your specific industry follow them on twitter engage with them on twitter and it's become a really good media relations tool from a public relations yep. perspective mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely i would I, I, there's been plenty of times when that's occurred as well whether it's just asking for an email and then you go back and you start uh, you communicate through email or what but yeah that's uh, that's a and it's not just with athletes on my end that's a, it's a great way to connect with anybody I would think um, how are you approaching you know the news uh, and, and working with the team so you're co- also covering the Vikings right um, um, still cover I, I, them? Do, I live here so I, I concentrate on them Got a little it. bit okay. more but I do try to do the whole league. So how is your how would you say your relationship is with the PR people at the teams and kind of how that's changed with, you know, just breaking stories all the time and you know, are you in constant communication with the teams? Um yeah, you know, and I and I, that's what I, you know, one of the one of the transition things that I had to work on was to try to find at least one PR contact that I knew and knew me with each team. You know, I know know the Vikings people very well and then probably the Packers people because that's a team they play every year and the Bears and the Lions but that's that's an essential part of what I'm I'm still trying to to do in terms of transitioning from being a beat writer to what I'm doing now is Mm -hmm. making sure that and you know and these jobs turn over a little bit so you have to keep investing in um and and building those new relationships so it's it's uh, very important to me but I'll, I'll admit it's probably easier for me to to develop those relationships when I'm not a beat writer who's out there every day harassing them for, sure. you know, five more minutes of access or I need, you know, why didn't you bring this guy out for an interview or, you know, it's probably easier for them to, to um, take care of the requests that I have, uh, you know, the two or three over the course of a year than it would be um, for them dealing with beat writers. And when I was a beat writer, you know, my relationship with, the PR people was always good on a personal level, but definitely up and down professionally, because sometimes, as you guys know, you know, what I need and what they need are not the same, you know, and so those, those things have to be worked out. And so I find that it's much easier to maintain positive relationships with, with PR people throughout the league in this role than it was, uh, you know, focused in on one group every day. Yeah. And you know, look, as PR people with the team too, um, 
you know, we also value relationships with national folks. And now that you're a national reporter from ESPN, uh, you know, that that has to help a little bit, too, and open a lot of doors. People want you at their camp. They want you covering the team for the yeah. most part when good things are happening. Kev, let me ask you a little bit because you mentioned access earlier. During my very brief tenure with the NFL down at the Redskins for a year, the thing that really jumped out at me was the difference in access between baseball and football. And yeah. I always maintain that that was a large reason why I think the relationship that football players had with the press that covered them day to day was largely better than on the baseball front because it felt more intrusive to the baseball players. And I understand the genesis of it, for those of you listening that don't know, is back in the day, you know, baseball – needed day-to-day coverage there was newspapers that was what was the venue then and, and, and they needed access so they gave a lot of access and the access yeah. was through open the clubhouse opens three and a half hours before the game every game and closes 30 minutes before and opens again immediately after i don't know if it's still the same in the in the nfl kev but when i was there the clubhouse was open for like 90 minutes twice a week and then post game and that's it. And I don't know if that's still the same, but the byproduct of that is that if someone like yourself needed a half hour with, you know, Kyle Rudolph, it might be easier to say, Hey Kyle, after you're done, can we grab a cup of coffee or something? They would generally, what do you, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'd love your perspective having covered both sports on that issue. Yeah. I mean the, the, the big, to me, the biggest difference, um, uh, between the baseball and, and football and the access periods you described. Basically, in football now, it's 45 minutes four times a week, I think, is, is what it is now. Um, and then, But a lot of times, like the head coach will be speaking at the same time, so you have to choose whether you want to go to the locker room to talk to players or mm-hmm. you want to go to um, the head coach and hear from him. Um, there is so much media at a daily, random Monday availability for, for at the NFL that there's no – opportunity to have any kind of chit chat with players you know and i felt like we got that in baseball mm-hmm. and probably from the players perspective that's probably too much um uh, but there's zero opportunity to have um to just you know, uh, you know unofficially or just randomly walk up and chat with a guy about the game yesterday or chat with him about his college team you know how they play the day before um and so that's that there's it, it creates sort of a i mean they know who we are uh in terms of people that are out there every day or national uh, reporters but if you want to have a personal relationship with a player which is important uh for providing you know accurate information and good stories you're going to have to work on that outside of the locker room um and yeah. whether that's mm-hmm. through the agent or with the cooperation of pr uh, setting something up for you during you know like during their lunch period or something um or just somehow finding out some contact information, whether through social media or elsewhere that you can, um, that you can just have that, that ability to, to do. And so when, what I used to do was if I had a guy's uh, number, I would ask him, Hey, can you call me? Um, or can I call you on your drive home? You know, cause they usually, they, they have nine to five hours most time. And so they're stuck in traffic, uh, Minnesota traffic, not being quite as bad as DC <laughs> Baltimore, but they do have some time on their hands. And so that was always something I tried to do. And just to have the, you know, some off the record chat time and not to get some, you know, scandalous scoop, but just to sort of build that relationship. Um, And so that, that's probably the the, the Mm -hmm. biggest thing that you need to, uh, the biggest adjustment for me was that 
the NFL access period, while you know helpful for giving you quotes that you need for your daily story, wasn't as uh, conducive to building relationships. So you had to find other ways to do that. That is a really interesting perspective, Kev, because I always kind of envisioned it the other way, but I didn't think about it. Now in hindsight, like looking back, you think about, yeah, you know, you guys might have been in the locker room a little longer than some of the athletes would have liked in the baseball front. But I remember you having really good personal relationships with Cal, with Brady Anderson, right. with Mike Messina. And that came over time of getting to know those guys and shooting the shit with them and, you know, talking about their kids and whatnot. So that's a really valid yeah. point that I was more thinking, okay, maybe a little less access would be a, a, a relationship builder, but I could see where it doesn't allow you to have that personal connection. Yeah, and there's probably a compromise between 45 minutes and three and a half hours <laughs> that would have worked for everybody um, right. as well, but that was the rule at the time, and I'm sure the players would have liked to have some more quiet time um, where they could just hang in the, in the clubhouse without having you know media around. But you know, in those days, also we, there was you know no social media, no cell phone or smartphone, so like a lot of the things that happened even when we were in the clubhouse didn't become a matter of public record. Can you talk a little bit about from your perspective? I know here in Baltimore, um, you know, we had a couple recent, you know, it's all noise with the NFL off the field stuff it has nothing to do. You know, the questions that John Harbaugh was getting nothing to do with on the field, getting ready for the season. It was Kaepernick and what Ray Lewis yeah. said and, and this and that. And so, you know, you could see the frustration of the teams. Do you think, you know, at, at those press conferences after practice, they have the responsibility to address those issues, or you know, is that something where you're 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 trying to do that work off offline um, with the coach, or yeah, you know, it just yeah. seemed like a lot of noise um, for them to deal with. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not it's usually not comfortable to ask those questions, but you almost I mean, if, if that's the story, you have to, and so mm -hmm. I would, you know, from from the perspective of the team, you know, I know Kevin Byrne, you know decently from the from the Ravens and mm -hmm. I'm sure he knows and he tells John that these are the these are some of the questions you're going to get right you know so whether whether the coach decides just to address it you know off the top or, or he already knows what he's going to say um you know I, I think that's unfortunately just probably part of the game and mm -hmm. so we we actually have this, this joke uh some of the writers you know will um yeah, there, this is, and it goes back to when I covered the Vikings, and and there was the Love Boat scandal, which you guys yep. might remember, where yep. they um, it kind of became <laughs> an international story. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, they would always say uh, they would start off by the Vikings just were not talking about it at all, and they would just say only football questions, only football questions. <laughs> and so and so we kind of just always say like only football questions. Today. And then and then one, one guy actually asked the. I think it was Dante Culpepper. He asked him, "Do you want to talk about the Bears or the boat?" And Dante <laughs> said, "I'll talk about the Bears." And so we always make that joke too. And so of course he's going to choose that. But yeah. right. now it's not even like a. I mean, it's just like a standard. You go through transcripts of uh, of head NFL head coaches, and you see this mix of social issues, mm -hmm. politics, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then occasionally you know uh, injuries is a big thing, um, and then occasionally like. Uh, you know, are you, what do you think about the uh, Saints' defense? You know, that kind yeah. of thing, too. So. Kev, just one more question. We'll let you go. I know you got a job to do, but um, we thank you for your time. When In the NFL, having covered many different teams now and, and been around the game for a number of years, is there a coach and a player that you can point to that really kind of gets it when it comes to dealing with the press, when it comes to knowing that – 
dealing with the media is part of their job and something that they tend to embrace a little more than others. Are there a couple of coaches and athletes that you can kind of say, wow, these guys, they get it. They know what they're doing. They understand it. They show us the respect that we need to do our jobs. You know, um, the first name that came to my head as you were talking is somebody who played for the Vikings and the Ravens was Matt Burke. Um, yeah. you know, he, uh, he has been out of the game for a few years, but mm-hmm. he, he went to Harvard. He's from Minnesota. He went to Harvard. Um, as I would tell him, he, I'm shocked to hear that Harvard let him in, but it must've been for football. <laughs> um, and he, uh, but he really like, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't play the game necessarily. He didn't just give you what you wanted, but he was definitely up for the interaction and definitely understood that part of the job of, of an athlete is to um, is to spend this you know this ten minutes you know that he's going to do an interview uh, and make it the best ten minutes that he can. And so I think he 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 always was willing to engage and he was always willing to take questions. He didn't always give you the answer that you wanted, but I thought and just talking to him off to the side, um, you know, often you know I would get the sense that he really was interested in in. Uh, how the process would lead to a to a uh, of questions and answers would lead to a story that was what the, the, the you know the reporter needed, but also to a to a uh, you know a perception that was beneficial to the player. And so I I always appreciated that. Um, and is somebody that I can that immediately pops in my head when you ask that question. As far as coaches, you know, currently there's actually more than a few coaches. And again, this might be my uh, perception as a, a national writer. That's different for the people who are local, but there's a fair, I actually have always had great interviews with John Harbaugh. You know, a lot of what I talk to him about are league issues and competition committee and rules, but he's really into that stuff. And he always engages and, and asks me what I think and, hmm. um, and has really original thoughts on, on those type of issues and direction of the league. Ron Rivera in Carolina, I think is very accommodating, um, under, very, uh, even through some issues that were, that have been tough with the camp with some of the Cam Newton storylines. Um, Pete Carroll, I actually think, is uh, you know he's a little bit of crazy person, but he's actually he's also very engaging uh, on pretty much every topic. The guys that I have trouble with are ones that only want to talk about certain things and like are head in the sand on everything else. And the three guys I just named are people that, in my experience at least, have always will always entertain any question they might not give you the answer you want but we'll always entertain any question well, that's great stuff and kevin this has been really interesting insight i i can't thank you enough for joining us once again this is kevin seifert kevin's a national reporter for espn.com's nfl nation and you could follow him on twitter at seifert s-e-i-f-e-r-t espn at seifert espn but Kev, thanks so much. It was great hearing your voice again. It's been a long time. I'm glad you're doing yeah. so well, and and really appreciate you taking the time to join us on Spotlight. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. What great insights! And for me personally, Jen, it was nice hearing his voice. Um, he's a he's a guy that used to work together with for a number of years when he covered the Orioles, and I was there and. He's doing some really good stuff, and I thought he had really great perspectives on things. He did, yeah, especially, you know, as you as we always talk about social and, and how it works and how re- reporters are using it. I mean, he's a prime example. You know, he's using it for research. He's finding the people he needs to find, but then he's also making sure he builds the personal relationships on top of that. So, yeah, yeah, he, he sure did. Um, thanks again, uh, guys, for joining us on Spotlight. And our next uh, – episode i hope you download it's going to be very interesting we're going to talk about the importance of relationship building we're going to be talking to john dinkle john 
is the former publisher of the Baltimore Business Journal and currently the founder of uh, Dinko Business Development uh, here in Maryland. And uh, it'll be an interesting discussion on building relationships in all businesses and how that's important and how, uh, quite frankly, public relations and social media and all these tools play a role in that. Follow us on Twitter at Maroon PR and can download our podcast at the iTunes store. Thanks again. Tune in. Talk to you soon.